Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Neeland, host of Cult Brand Secrets. This podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and The Gathering. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit, and it's a masterclass for brand leaders hoping to reap the benefits of having hyper-engaged customers, prospects, and staff. In every episode, I present one of industry's biggest disruptors, a brand leader who is earning cult-like status by thinking and behaving differently than his or her mediocre peers. These brand leaders will share examples of how their companies, such as Marvel, M&Ms, Beats by Dre, Yeti, or the Dallas Cowboys, are spending their time and their resources creating advocates by enhancing their customer and their employee experiences in ways that make interacting with them irresistible. So check out all our episodes to gain access to the most impressive business leaders sharing their most important advice. Some people may be confused how a brand new hockey club that didn't even have a particularly good record their first year could be honored as an emerging cult brand. So let me explain. The Kraken were not honored because of their performance on the ice. We did in fact do that once with the Vegas Golden Knights because of how compelling their inaugural season was. But the Kraken are different. In many ways, we were really honoring the city of Seattle because of how well that town rallied to even qualify for an NHL franchise. And then how well they created a brand and built an arena and they created a team that has really perfected the playbook for how to launch a new club in a new location. I'm not talking about the hockey team, I'm talking about the business team, the brand and the marketing team and the operators there. We've all seen examples of how new clubs and new cities don't always go over very well. But I really think the Kraken's entree into Seattle is a best-in-class example. And Todd Humphrey, he's just such a great ambassador for this brand. He's their SVP of digital innovation and fan experience. You know, I wish more brand leaders had some form of fan or customer experience in their titles as well. I've learned that the best synonym for marketing is not advertising or communications. Really the best synonym is the experience, maybe some element of customer service. The more that we can orient ourselves to all of the things a brand does to really enhance the buying and shopping and ownership experience, the better. I like to say that cult brand leaders worry less about buying impressions and worry more about making impressions. And Todd really embodies that sentiment perfectly because of what he spends most of his time and energy doing. In this presentation, you're also gonna hear him talk a lot about the arena. And I think that's great because one of the cult brand principles is to congregate. And it's highly correlated with this idea of temple building. And the Kraken's arena is that franchisee's temple. And the fans will come to worship there like 40 something times a year. Now, Todd's gonna share some videos that have some amazing footage of that arena's construction and what their game day experience looks like, but we've had to exclude those from this podcast because they're really more visual than audio, but I encourage you to go online to YouTube and check them out. Otherwise, enjoy Todd and see if you can learn from his wise advice. Here's Todd.
I wanted to start by saying thank you for having me here, for allowing me to represent the Kraken. Uh, we are obviously a new brand and honored to be one of the honorees this year. Uh, as a Canadian, happy to be back on Canadian soil for the first time in almost three years, so thank you. Born and raised just outside of Toronto and Oakville. I was your prototypical kid, Canadian, skated more than I walked. Singular goal to play professional hockey. Clearly one of, my, one of the more fashionable kids in my neighborhood. Thank you, mom. Um, after my minor hockey, my junior hockey career um, completed, I went to Western, played four years of varsity hockey there. Incredible experience allowed me to continue to chase that dream of playing pro hockey at the same time, doing as my mom said, get your education. She's watching, so thank you, mom. It paid off. Um, and then after graduation, I was able to play hockey. I played four years. I didn't reach that pinnacle of playing in the NHL, but I played four years of pro hockey. It was incredible. They gave me a paycheck for playing the game I loved. It was a while ago, so it was literally an actual physical paycheck. And through that, just made incredible memories. Um, and it was just an amazing career with, again, making lifelong friendships and memories. And towards the end of my fourth year, I started to think about the what's next. What's the next version of me? What you do, you call your best friend, Tim. Friend since we were five years old, and he gave me really, he was three years into the business world, right? But he knew what I needed to do. Gave me really simple advice. Read the New York Times, read the Wall Street Journal every day. So I did that for a month, called him back and said, I have no idea what they're talking about. That same friend, a few months later, offered me a job selling mutual funds. It's funny, I did this slide. What is a mutual fund? It was so long ago, Google didn't even exist when I actually tried to figure out what it was. Um, but I spent the next four years learning kind of that first real world job, post-hockey career. So financial services, technology as the dot-com boom was happening right before the bust. Um, and it was just a really good entree point for me. And then Seattle was calling. So I moved west inside of 10 years of retiring from hockey. Got my first CEO job. We sold that company after three years. Was at Amazon for a year, which was an incredible experience. Amazon at the time was 20,000 people. Now what, 1.6 million? Amazing company. And then I had the good fortune to meet a guy named Mike Cerbinas, an incredible entrepreneur out of Toronto. He was founding a company called Kobo that some of you would have heard of. We competed with the Kindle. We launched that in 20 plus countries around the world and it was extraordinary. We sold it and started another company called League. They're doing amazing things in the healthcare space, one of Canada's latest unicorns, which I'm pretty excited about, but I'm really proud of how they're doing that. But for me, and again, Seattle was calling, I still live there, and there was rumors that the NHL was thinking about coming west, into the Pacific Northwest. In 2017, I was put on to a mayor's committee to look at the redevelopment of Key Arena. Key Arena is where our Seattle Sonics played until they moved to Oklahoma City in 2008. Don't talk to anybody from Seattle about that. In 2018, a longtime friend, Andy Jassy, who's now the CEO of Amazon, put me on a technology committee as we started to think about how do we redefine the fan experience? How do we look at the pain points when people come to games and watch games? So we spent a few years looking at that. 
Through that process, I got to meet Tim and Todd Lywicki, and many of you in this audience have heard of them. Some of you know them, him, though, <clears throat> excuse me, know them really well. Tim on the venue side, the arena side, Todd on the team side. And these two brothers were hell-bent on bringing the NHL back to Seattle. I went to Todd one day and I said, I don't know what the job is. I don't even know if you're going to pay me, but I'm coming to work with you because there is no way that the NHL is coming back to Seattle or coming to Seattle without my involvement. Lived there 17 years without a team, no way. So I started about three and a half years ago full-time, um, focused on fan experience, focused on a mobile app that we were going to develop. And my role has evolved since then, but it has just been, as a Canadian kid, kidding me, getting to be part of an expansion hockey team? Hell yes. Um, but the real work began the year before that. 2018, we started thinking about what the expansion process would look like. You have to have 10,000 paid deposits to even apply for an NHL team. In our case, you also had to have $650 million. Um, but those 10,000 deposits were critical. As context, it took the Las Vegas Golden Knights about five weeks to get 10,000 paid deposits. It took us 12 minutes. 12 minutes. So we knew that there was something afoot here, um, and we were ready for what it was going to entail. We had humble beginnings. We had a sales center. This is one of the walls with some of our investors, Mr. David Bonderman, Jerry Bruckheimer, Andy, who I mentioned. This week, we added Macklemore and Marshawn Lynch to our ownership group. It is a really cool freaking group. But we had to really sit back and think, who are we going to be and what is this company, what's this organization going to look like? Because companies that I've been involved with, they come and go, you sell them, they get folded into another company. NHL teams, they're around a while. Hundreds of years, decades, generations. And so we really wanted to think intensely about who we were and how we were going to get there. But before you have a team, you need an arena. I mentioned Key Arena. There was a couple challenges with it. This year is the 60th anniversary of that arena being built. It started as really a coliseum. It was above ground under this historic roof. And you'll see the outside of it in a minute. This roof is super cool. It is shaped as a Native American rain hat. And because it was part of the World's Fair in 1962, it was a national historical landmark, which is awesome. <laughs> Except for you can't touch it. This roof weighs 44 million pounds. And so there is no company, no engineering feat could figure out how to take out an arena, build a brand new one that would be economically feasible underneath this roof. Except for one guy named Tim Lywicki. His group, the Oakview Group, started to look at it, ultimately won the RFP to do this with a $650 million budget. That price tag is now about $1.2 billion. We, don't, we were originally 38 feet below ground. We went another 15 feet down. We went from 400,000 square feet to almost a million square feet, down and out. Underneath this roof, 44 million pounds, that we, I love saying we, because I didn't have anything to do with that, that we kept suspended for two years while we built this building. The other thing we did was commit to being climate friendly. We are called Climate Pledge Arena. We did a deal with Amazon, that is their initiative, but that meant that we had to meet that pledge. And so we had to be sustainable. We will be no single use plastic next year. We had a Billie Eilish weekend a couple weekends ago where we were zero waste. 
That means that you're more than 95% of your waste goes to compost or to recycle. Make my daughter Claire very happy because she's hypersensitive about recycling. So 90, we had 97% of our waste went to one of those two things. So we're highly focused on that. We have a, a system called Rain to Rink. And the Rain to Rink system, <clears throat> we have a 15,000 gallon cistern that collects rainwater. Rain to Rink. So the rainwater rushes off that roof and other places and we get it ready and it goes into our Zamboni and it makes our rink. So there's all these little things that we have done to make this arena great. So from there to here, um, it was incredible. All of this through a global pandemic, of course. We lost two days and that was because we were getting our crew ready to be safe as they continued through this journey. We had more than 5,000 men and women over the course of the project work on it. And has anybody actually been to the arena yet? Thank you, John. <laughs> Always have one guy in the audience, just have one guy. Um, this arena sits right underneath the Space Needle. As you can see, it sits on Seattle Center Campus, which is 72 acres. And we did other things like we, we don't have a back of house. We don't have that ugly side of the building. Everything is built underneath. There's a tunnel that runs under an entire city block that brings in all that back of house, all the garbage, all those transitions. So a very thoughtful arena, and I encourage you to come and see us. You saw in some of the pictures, we have windows that look in. We have people that now stand out there and watch into the games. The other, the other day they were playing, they showed a bunch of them out there, and they were playing Adele's Hello from the Other Side. So then we you know, really dug into the team, and I want to dig into how we got to the Seattle Kraken. Um, one of the things, as we started looking at this, again, is back to, this is going to be around for a long time. Do you really want to be called the Seattle Sasquatches? Do you really want to be called the, called the pilots just due to our Boeing history? And so we, went, we actually went out to our community. We've been really intentional, excuse me, intentional about listening to our folks, listening to our community, our region. So we went out and through the Seattle Times, we asked for name submissions. We got more than 100,000 submissions, thousands of individual names. And you see some of them here, and some of them were outrageous. You would never use them, but there was a lot of really good ones. And so we narrowed them down and narrowed them down, got down to 10 or 15, got down to five, and then took a step back and said, let's really make sure that we're going in the right direction here. Because it's not just the name, it's the branding, it's the logo, it's the color scheme, it's the essence and the ethos of what that name is. And the Kraken just hung around and it works. 85% of people that walk into our building, they go down to their seats. Think about most arenas, you go up. So we, as you can imagine, use our screens, our LEDs to make it feel like you're going into the deep. Um, so it was an amazing process, Canadian kid, to be a part of some of it. And then you want to keep it tight. You don't want this to leak. All it takes is one cell phone picture, tweet it out, and the, the surprise is spoiled. And we are so proud. July 22nd, 2020, five months into the global pandemic, we announced our name underneath that historic roof. Take a look at this picture. This is 15 months before we dropped the puck. Those big yellow buttresses are what's holding that 44 million pound roof. So it is incredible to have seen it, to have done it here on a dirt floor in front of those workers who'd been building it and continued to build it. You're listening to Cult Brand Secrets. 
We'll be right back. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information. Welcome back. Here's more of Cult Brand Secrets. So the videos are cool. Always make sure to take your video folks out for lunch, okay? Especially before you do something like this. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about what is our logo, and we'll dig in a little deeper than even this. Um, And as we look at what this logo is, you could say it's just an S for Seattle, but there's a lot built in. There was a lot of thought given to it. We worked with our partners at Adidas, with our partners at BDA, um... And here you do have the S and it's for Seattle, sure, but it's also an ode to the Seattle Metropolitans. 1917, the very first US team to win the Stanley Cup. They couldn't defend that cup a year later because of a global pandemic, the Spanish flu. The franchise was was done after and through a global pandemic and there we are coming out of another one 100 plus years later. So there's an ode to the Metropolitans here. Hidden in the shadows is that tentacle that some people don't realize, but that's sort of our negative space and it lurks from below and lurks from beneath. It's carved from the sea, hand-wrought, hand-carved ships underneath. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, is that eye that just gives it a little bit more aggression. It gives it a little bit more personality. It allows it to really come alive. And I'll show you why in a few minutes. But as we started to think about, okay, you've got a logo, you got colors, what is the brand? And how does it work? And this brand is connected to a hockey team. It's connected to a team that we don't know how it's gonna perform night in and night out. We haven't had the best season on ice this year, but we're an expansion team and we got a plan for all you Kraken fans, don't worry, we're coming. But what's it gonna feel like for 82 nights a year if if we live and die by the wins and losses, that brand is gonna suffer and then it's gonna go up and down. So we had to both associate it with the brand and also disconnect it to a certain degree. And I hate Cheetos, okay? But can you imagine if every time somebody opened a bag of Cheetos, they had no idea what it was going to taste like? Could be awesome, could be terrible, could give you food poisoning, whatever it is. That is a brand person's nightmare. And it's a little bit like you want to be sure that your brand has evergreen behind it, not just connected to what happens those 82 nights a year. And you want to do it because you want fans for life. And we, you know, we knew on day one with those 10,000 deposits in 12 minutes, 32,000 by the end of the day, we knew we had fans and we opened the doors and they walked through them and they cheer. We were down 6-1 a couple months ago. We scored a goal with two minutes left to make it 6-2. And you would have thought we won the Stanley Cup. But that's who Seattle fans are. And they're cheering for us 
and we couldn't be more thankful, but we want to make sure that this brand continues to live on for them. And as we really started to dig in on what was it going to be, what was it going to feel like, there's a lot of adjectives behind me here. The mystery of this sea creature, this never-been-seen kraken before, right? The mystery of that, the unexpected. There's an intensity to it. You don't know what's going to happen, when it might strike. But there also had to be fun. Coming to a hockey game should be super fun. Unless you're a, you know, an old Maple Leafs fan who hasn't won a Stanley Cup in their lifetime. And if you come to a game at Climate Pledge Arena, you will find joy there. You will find cheering fans and kids seeing hockey for the first time. So we had to bring that through. And the word inclusive is something that gets, it gets used a lot these days, and it should. And so our brand needed to be inclusive, but I'm super proud of the organization we've built because the inclusivity that we have developed and continue to lean into, we are different than a lot of organizations, especially in our field. We are 45% women. We are 25% BIPOC. And I can tell you that that diversity of employee base and teammates has made us better. We have conversations that you would never expect in a hockey team organization. Um, and just, again, those different thoughts and different experiences has made us better. We wanted to be forward-looking, not just in the logo itself, but in how we operated. And so if you come to a Kraken game and you, you're on our app and you got your ticket, you have free public transportation to and from the arena. Buses, light rail, monorail, water taxis, streetcars will get you to and from. And so it ties back to our sustainability. We have more than 30% of our fans taking public transportation to and from our arena. Now, it's cut into our parking revenue a little bit. Let's not talk about that at the moment. But it's forward-thinking because Seattle is a forward-thinking town. It's progressive economically, diversity-wise, all the way through. And so we're really proud of kind of the essence of the brand that we've created. And then opening night, don't you love when you're doing one of these and you, all of the notes you created are now gone, right? They were there for three weeks. Now they're all gone. That's good. <laughs> So this was opening night and our guys came rolling through that tunnel and it was awesome. And I had my family there and my daughters there. Like, it was incredible to see that logo come to life. And you see that red behind it, that red of the eye. It's a thread of our, of our brand. And those fans, some of them seeing hockey for the first time. We have, we have seven year commitments from some fans that have ne had never been to a game before. Three, five and seven year plans. Thousands of dollars never been to a game. I've explained what offside is more than once this year, I can assure you. I love this quote, in our hearts, we hope we don't discover everything. And there's a certain essence to that because with the crack and with that brand, we want to leave a little bit for the mind, for the mystery of it, the theater of the mind. To steal something from another ocean-dwelling brand, we want to show the fin, but not the shark. And so you'll never see us show the actual Kraken. We're going to keep you guessing. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the things we've learned through this journey. And we're, we're not perfect by any means. I was talking backstage about some of our fumbles. But I want to talk about some of the things I think we've gotten right and maybe some lessons that can be carried forward. And the first is to take risks. They said, you cannot build a new arena under that roof. Hockey won't work in Seattle. The NHL will never come to the Pacific Northwest again. Check, check, check. We took a risk 
this all told is about a, a $2 billion enterprise. And it took a huge investment, both financially and just leaps of faith to get us there. But as Todd, our CEO says, you know, some dreams are just too big to die. And this is one of them. And we're super proud of that. The second, again, is to, to listen. We have listened to our fans all the way through. This is an, an example of the mobile app that one of our teams built. We took a very different approach. We asked our fans, what don't you like about coming to a game? Well, I don't like standing in line. Okay, let's think about that from Arena Designs. Ticketing is a pain in the ass. Transportation is not easy, especially where this arena is located. Transactions can be hard. So we tried to address all those using technology and by listening. And we didn't just listen once and then build. We listened, built, listened again, showed them, and really brought them along for the journey. We had hundreds of people that participated in our fan forums as we built this one particular product. This one's interesting because I like to call this honor your history. And you might say we don't have a lot of history because we're an expansion team. We literally dropped the puck six months minus two days ago. And yet we do. We won that initial Stanley Cup all those years ago. And we hang a banner in our arena for the 1917 Stanley Cup. We've hung more banners than the Maple... Oh, I won't talk about Trump. <laughs> the other one is the number 32. It's become really important to us. 32,000 deposits on that first day. We are the NHL's 32nd franchise. Water also happens to freeze at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So we retired that number as a nod to our fans. Opening night, we retired this number. It hangs right next to that Stanley Cup banner. And so find a way to bring your history forward, even if you don't have a lot. Make some stuff up. Let fans believe and buy into it. This next one is um, really to stay true to your brand. It's easy. It's a very slippery slope. That first time, we just were dying on the vine. Our team is 0 and 82. They're not. But if they were, like, do you show the crack and do you just let it go and just get that quick win? You just got to, like, stick to your guns. Know what's best for your brand. And we are doing that. And we're finding ways to continue to incorporate. You see a lot of sea themes here, a lot of ocean themes, and that's intentional because there's other ways around rather than just showing the obvious. And this last one I love, because the one on the left was very likely close to our final logo. And it's great. It's cool. But the one on the right is really cool. And the one on the right, it's not much differentiated, right? It's that red eye. <clears throat> and in the last few weeks, if you will, before we went to launch, the red eye was a suggestion of our majority owner, Mr. David Bonderman, and if you watch the most recent, this new Uber special that's out there, super pumped, you'll see him appear in there. And Bondo's an awesome guy. And he's very subtly suggested, didn't enforce it, suggested we maybe try a red eye. And it changes everything. Because again, it gives it that personality. You see it through our jersey. You see it through our uniforms. You see it on our, we literally have a black and red line now. You see it through our fan experience. And we pull that thread all the way through and it changes everything about this brand. And again, that's just one of those trust, trust your gut and really look for those little details. If you look right above that eye, you can see how it's a bit of a wave shape. All the way through, we looked at how do we pull our brand through every piece of our experience. This has not been the easiest year or the last couple of years for anybody. This planet has been, it's been a challenge. Um, we have been so thankful for our fans we have been 100% capacity all year long. 
Uh, we have been masked up until a couple of weeks ago. We have been fully vaccinated, checking every single fan, every single game. We've had cancellations for weather, for COVID, all sorts of chaos. And so we put together a campaign. I'm going to show you a quick spot. It's playing in the Seattle market, I think, starting this week, I hope. Um, so I'll show you a quick spot as a, an ode and a thank you to our fans. I know it's been a, a little bit of a challenging year, but uh, without you guys, we couldn't have done it. And thank you so much for all the support and all, all the loud cheers we've gotten from you guys and all the smiles uh, we've gotten around the city. It's been absolutely incredible and uh, so many memories have been made. We, um, the other thing we've, we've really dug into is community. You see a lot of kids here. We have thousands of, of both little humans and older humans learning how to skate, learning how to play hockey for the first time, highly committed to it. Um, and I just, again, want to thank you. I know we've got a lot of Leaf, Oiler, Flame, Canucks fans here. You got to listen to another NHL team for, uh, for a little bit of time. Thank you for having us. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you. Don't you wish you loved your job as much as Todd seems to love his? I mean, he seems like a kid in a candy store. And I really wish that for all of us. We should all love our jobs and feel good about the difference that we're making in people's lives. I also loved how intentional he was about creating something that will last for generations. You know, that kind of permanence is really important when you're building a cult brand. The reality is most businesses fail right around their onset. And then the businesses that do survive, say like five years, they're dead by 15 years. We just live in a very disposable society and we have a very short-term temporary mindset that will affect and infect how we build businesses and we think about customer relationships. And I don't think that's a positive thing. I'd argue that Wall Street ruins more companies than it helps because it infects C-suites and the company culture with this disease that I call short-term-itis. But the Kraken organization, on the other hand, they're making decisions that they expect to last for decades. And their emphasis is on macro issues, things like climate change. And it's just so much more than lip service that so many other businesses are guilty of. The Kraken are serious about sustainability. Sustainability in their facilities, in their operations, and in their marketing. And it's that type of long-termness and that type of all-inness that will continue to pay off for them in spades. Now, the last thing that I want to highlight is I hope that you paid attention to how they landed on their name. They allowed their fans, their followers to contribute ideas and to vote. You know, we don't need to wait around for some big thing like a rebrand or a new product launch to really involve our customers in our brands. The best brands I know, they have learned how to create things like customer advisory councils, or they have online groups and communities where they're inviting their end users into the boardroom and to have a voice and to present aspects of the company from their point of view. You know, Lego is probably the best in class example that I've ever heard of, where they nurture a group of over 10,000 master builders. These are non-compensated individuals, but they have a significant impact on helping Lego decide what to produce and how to promote it. So please involve your customers and allow them to contribute to your business in ways beyond just buying stuff from you. Other than that, I really fully endorse Todd's final words of advice and I wish him and you 
continued success. Until next time. You've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we share the best insights gleaned from The Gathering, an annual summit for brand leaders eager to make their companies more successful and more significant. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as our executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.